Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. What you have in your hand is the podcast audiobook version of the first chapter of the first book of the Ruins of Empire series. Well, actually what you have in your hand is a device that contains the digital file, but let's not get in semantics. The point is, the second book is coming out soon, and if you're listening to this right now, you have a chance to put your mark on literary history or at least get credible evidence that you liked something awesome before most everybody else. The first season of Ruins of Empire is available right now, but the second season is coming soon, and I've got a Kickstarter campaign to get it going in style. Everyone who contributes gets their name in the print edition of Ruins of Empire 2, Templum Venerous, but you can also get an electronic version of the book two weeks before it's released on Amazon, and you can get signed paperback or hardback copies so you can follow along with the second season of Ruins of Empire. Okay, you might be saying, fine, but seriously, I just picked up this podcast. I'm not even sure I like it yet, much less want to actually give you money. Fair enough. Then please enjoy the first book of Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire project a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. Saturnius Mons. Prologue. As I write this, it is exactly ten years since the beginning of the third millennium A.D. Five years ago, on July 7, 2999, I, along with millions of others around the world, watched the launch of Corporation Spaceship Discovery. The event marked the beginning of a new age of exploration for mankind. It was a testament to the endurance of the human spirit and a symbol of our species' thirst for knowledge. That was the rhetoric used by the leading members of the corporation, at least. Unknown to the cheering crowds that witnessed the launch, Discovery was a rather ironic name for the vessel. Humankind was not exploring the unknown, but returning to a place they had been forced to abandon centuries ago. When Europeans first set sail for the New World in the 18th century, they had no words to describe the act of finding something that nobody knew existed. Here, in the third millennium, we shall have to create a word that means to discover what was previously known but since forgotten. It's hard to imagine that a spacefaring civilization once thrived on Earth. Its great cities are little more than ruins, its technological advancements lost to time. Even the ministry and the corporation are mere shadows of the governments and corporations that once dominated the globe. There was a time when global civilization spread to every moon and planet in the solar system that could be made adaptable to human life. They established colonies for resource extraction and trade. Distances that seemed insurmountable became crowded thoroughfares. It was a wonder of human creation never before seen nor replicated. Then came the fall of civilization. Deprived of resources and the technical knowledge needed to maintain them, those colonies collapsed. The people, however, continued on. On September 5, 3002, the first mission to Mars since the fall found an entire society still thriving on the vast equatorial plains. The explorers that first met with this long-lost civilization described them as a society of scattered, barely civilized warlords. Some went as far as to describe them as savages. Any memory of their ancestral homeland existed only in myth and legend passed down through the generations. In spite of that, or because of it, they had survived. Like the Martian society, our 31st century world is a crude facsimile of an ancient golden age. What caused civilization to collapse into catastrophe only a couple of centuries into the second millennium? What happened to the people left behind in those far-flung worlds? I have dedicated my life to finding the answers to these questions. And this book is my attempt to share them with the world. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. Chapter 1. It could be that civilization is an inherently destructive force, a kind of virus that consumes and destroys everything around it, and, 
when it can no longer sustain itself, commits suicide. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. Then, Vega was awake. Coming out of hibernation was like waking for the first time. No memories, no pain, no fear. Just darkness and an all-encompassing comfortable stench like that of a well-worn boot. The darkness turned into a blinding light and Vago heard a computerized female voice. Some programmer somewhere probably thought it sounded friendly and comforting. For Vago, it sounded like a woman whispering words of comfort while she looked for a good place to stick a knife. Good morning. Your name is Vago Spade. Today is April 3rd, 3010. You have been asleep for 13 months, 7 days, and 16 hours. You are aboard the Corporation Resource Transport Ship Innovation in a transfer orbit around Saturn en route to the moon Titan. Titan. The word echoed in his head like a profanity screamed in church. Memories of exactly who he was and what he was doing here were still fuzzy. They were like pictures in a stranger's photo album. But something about Titan made his guts stir. He knew there was to be some nasty business on Titan, but he couldn't remember why. Only the vague feeling that if there was to be any judgment on the day he died, Titan would be part of the conversation, and possibly the cause. The voice continued. The other members of your party... Althea Fallon and Isra Jacario are already animated. Althea Fallon requests that you see her in Medical Bay 25 for a post-hibernation physical exam. Some mild muscle discomfort and nausea are a normal part of reanimation. Whoever wrote the spiel obviously had a twisted sense of humor. It was like saying that jumping out of the airlock may cause a slight change in pressure. Every muscle in his body felt like it had been tied to two horses running in opposite directions, and the only thing that kept him from being sick in the hibernation pod was the fact that he couldn't muster the strength. Also, he hadn't eaten anything for over a year. There was a hiss of rushing air and a drop in pressure that made his ears pop. A small door opened near his feet to a white glowing beyond. A harness that held him down released and he started to float in a box a little bigger than a coffin. The corporation welcomes you as a guest aboard Innovation. Please notify any crew member if there's anything we can do to make your visit more productive. Be careful as extended hibernation may have prolonged effects. Thank you and have a pleasant day. The last of his memories assembled themselves in his brain, and the phrase, have a pleasant day, seemed like the punchline of a sick joke. He was Vago Spade, wild man of the Martian steppes, a kind of human ruin from a society caught in the rising tide of civilization. He was here as part of the Human Reconnection Project, a small team of explorers whose aim it was to protect and preserve extraterrestrial societies and cultures. But really, if there was a society left on Titan, he was going to destroy it. Not by choice, but it was inevitable. Civilization was about to descend on Titan, and civilization has the same effect on a native culture as a wildfire has on an ancient forest. But that was his job, and it was time he got to it. The hibernation chamber aboard Innovation was little more than two filing cabinets set across from one another, one for personal effects, and one for humans. He pulled himself out of his pod and hung there for a moment, hoping the spinning in his head would calm down. Around him, others floated out of their own little holes. Scientists, engineers and those with no skill except for the ability to hold a gun, all milled together in this little room. Some looked green and bent over double as they got violently ill inside a black plastic bag. Others didn't seem affected at all. Trying to keep a low profile, Vago pushed his way to the other side of the room and found the locker with his own personal effects. He pressed his thumb to the black pad near the locker number. The bolt slid aside, and the steel-colored door swung open. He retrieved the few clothes he brought from Earth, a white khaki suit with a wide-brimmed hat with a black stripe. They seemed archaic and frivolous in a spaceship of simple white plastic and Spartan accommodations. Still, the jacket had its uses. For example, it provided a convenient hiding place that the overworked corporate dock security wasn't as likely to check. 
Keeping an eye on those around him, he pulled out the suit jacket and started rummaging through the pockets. If one were to distill all the pleasures of the world and make them into a drug, they would be left with a dose of triple T. If someone wanted to destroy that world, they would make sure every single person had a dose. It was a drug that made everything feel so good and its victim feel so sharp and alive that the unenhanced life wasn't worth living anymore. He plucked a little blue glass container from his pocket. It was shaped like a pill and about as large as the tip of his little finger. The blue gas that swirled inside was so reactive that it had to be contained in glass as it would melt most conventional polymers. Then he placed it between his molars and bit down. There was a sharp sting of glass against his gums. He breathed in the gas at release. It tasted like burnt plastic and sugar and burned his lungs. As quick as the flick of a light switch, his world was clear. He tasted the blood from where the shards made tiny cuts in his mouth. He could smell the chemicals they pumped into the ship's air supply to combat the effects of zero gravity on the human body. The hair on his arm stood up at the chill in the air. He felt fear, trepidation, and excitement. He felt alive. Next to his suit, there was the standard light blue cotton pants and shirt that was the unofficial uniform of corporation vessels. He pulled it out of the locker and started to squeeze into it. Whoever was in charge of making these things obviously never planned of a man of Vago's size. It wasn't just that he was tall, but he was tall and broad. Men had a tendency to call him Sir when he was in earshot, probably to make up for the things whispered about him when he wasn't. Then there was his hair. Martian warriors traditionally let their hair grow their entire life and braided it into a queue. It was a symbol of respect and masculinity on his home world, but here, in zero gravity and unbraided, it was a giant, irritating cloud of hair. He pulled it back and braided it as well as he could while floating in the hibernation chamber. He briefly considered asking someone to help, but the only people on this ship who could braid hair were probably women and they would do it wrong. They'd make him look like a girl. His queue might be a mess, but at least he'd have his dignity. Dressed and put together, he floated out of the hibernation chamber hatch. The corridors outside were already crammed with people flying towards some important thing or another. Luckily, Med Bay 25 wasn't far nor terribly hard to find. Vigo knocked on the outside of the hatch a couple of times. He wasn't sure why, it just seemed like the polite thing to do before he went in. What Vigo saw inside was the most fantastic torture chamber ever dreamed up even by the most diseased human mind. Its primary feature was five slabs that hovered in the center of the room, each fitted with a set of straps. Some might say they were there to keep patients secure in zero gravity, and Vega was sure that was true. However, above the slabs, there was a jumble of steel and plastic, all set on metal arms and flexible hoses, so the medic could select something horrible for every hole the gods drilled into him. Those that wouldn't fill a hole would put a new one in. The sight of the apparatus probably gave more than a few people a powerful urge to make for the nearest exit, if not for the straps. Althea Fallon was waiting for him. She floated near one of the corners, touching icons on a hologram projected in front of her. She wore the same blue jumpsuit Vago did, although she filled it out much better. Of course, Althea would look good in a tarp. She had the kind of fiery, too red hair and piercing green eyes that was only achievable through genetic modification. Floating there, she looked like a kind of angel sent to redeem humanity, or possibly damn it. Althea saw Vago climb through the hatch and hit a switch on a device attached to her arm that made the projection disappear. Vago said Althea, smiling at him. How you feeling? In his youth, Vigo heard stories about women so beautiful that armies would fight and die in their name. Any man fighting for Althea would never see battle. She had a smile that would make a convert of anyone. Good, said Vigo, under the circumstances. Any discomfort? Muscle aches, joint pain, nausea, that sort of thing, said Althea, floating closer. No more than usual. Lay down, said Althea, patting one of the slabs. Let's have a look. Lay down was an interesting term for what he had to do. He twisted and arranged his body roughly parallel to the slab. Althea pressed a few more buttons on the metal cuff attached to her arms. 
stiff straps unrolled from the side of the slab around Vago's body and bound him to the metal surface, and a hologram of Vago's body materialized above him. How are things on Earth? asked Vago. Althea touched the air near the hologram, and the projection's skin and muscle disappeared, revealing Vago's inner workings. We're not on Earth, said Althea, her voice all business. You've got mild muscle atrophy, but your cardiovascular system looks good. Blood pressure normal. Heart is strong. You seeing anyone? Althea floated over Vigo. Her red hair radiated around her face like a halo. She produced a small light from her pocket and waved it over Vigo's eyes. Reflex is normal. Pupil dilation is a little slow. You didn't answer the question, mumbled Vigo, squinting into the light. She turned off the light and turned her attention back to the hologram. That's because it's none of your business. Take a deep breath, please. Vigo did. How about the medical consortium? Ain't they any closer to reinstating you as a doctor? Another deep breath, please. It wasn't that Vago wanted to be with Althea again. Well, he did. He'd chop off his cue at the base of his neck for another roll in the hay with Althea Fallon. That wasn't what he was after now. Vago found that when he woke up at the ass end of the solar system, it was best to focus on the constants of life, establish a kind of psychic link to those things that proved he was still in the same world he left when he entered hibernation. He'd always have his white, wide-brimmed hat and khaki suit. He'd always wear the cue of a Martian warrior. And Althea Fallon would always treat him like a memory she'd rather forget. There was a sharp jab at the base of his neck. Ow! said Vago, pressing against the restraints. You see? That's your problem. Bedside manner. I'll bet if you were a little nicer... Althea pulled something away from his neck. My mistake. I assumed a tough man such as yourself could handle a simple blood test. Vago tried to relax. The good news was that Triple T was hard to detect unless the medic was a good one. Something about the blood-brain barrier he didn't know. But it was always possible. It hadn't happened yet, but it was possible. Althea floated up to look at the results on a computer screen. Vago, are you feeling quite all right? The problem was Althea was one of the best medics in the universe, despite being banished to the ass end of it. Vago nearly strained a facial muscle trying to look innocent. What you mean? It's just that, well, it's probably nothing. But your plasma endorphins are quite low. Vago shrugged as much as the restraints would allow. It's hibernation. There's all sorts of schmerz and bias to my innards. Althea floated to another computer terminal. Low endorphins can be indicative of several problems, but nothing life-threatening. It's worth watching in case it materializes into something more severe. Would you take your shirt off, please? The restraints released and Vago floated off the slab. Always trying to get me naked. Without the sexual innuendo, if you please? Vago grumbled as he pulled the shirt over his head. I seem to remember a woman with a sense of humor. Althea opened a compartment and pulled out something that looked like two irregular slabs of metal held together by wires and pocked with lights, ports, and small displays. To say it looked complicated would be to say that the sun looked big. Some engineer had obviously worked out some childhood issues on this piece of equipment. You wouldn't believe the amount of data the corporation demands from crews about to do missions on the surface of a planet, especially crews they're not keen on having in the first place. If my sense of humor is lacking, it's because we're on a schedule, and there's no time slot marked out for your particular brand of, let's call it charm. And just what is that thing, accused Vago, pointing to the device in Althea's hand. Althea floated forward. The RX-5 field medical regulator. Something I helped develop before... She sighed as her voice trailed off. Then she continued. It will let me monitor your vitals during the mission. Come here and turn around, please. Vega maneuvered along the wall until he was about a meter away from Althea. As soon as he spun around, she clamped the device on his shoulder. The thing tightened and felt like it was digging into his flesh. He winced as it whirred, whined, and finally settled into place. They both said nothing for a few moments, although he could feel Althea working some controls on the back. Her breathing was slow and came in deep, heaving breaths, as if she was trying to focus her mind on the present and away from the more horrific topic of could have been. For what it's worth, Althea, I'm glad you'll be here with us, said Vega with as much sincerity as he could muster. If it makes you feel any better, this device is made to be integrated with the Eros suit. 
It's probably uncomfortable now, but when they get you fitted for that, you won't even know it's there, Althea said, still working on the controls. I know it's been hard for you, booted out of the medical consortium and all that, but, you know, their loss, our gain. Althea finished her calibrations, and the device loosened enough for her to pull it off. That's all I need for now. That will establish some baseline conditions to help it regulate fluids, body temperature, blood chemistry, and alert me to possible problems. Vigo grabbed his shirt out of the air and put it back on. Great. He would have Althea monitoring his body every minute of every day. He thought back to the stash of Triple T still in his jacket pocket. He should be fine sneaking a dose when he needed it. Triple T was hard to track, and Althea would have other things on her mind. Plus, there could be worse things. Then, one of those worse things happened. Issa Jacario opened the hatch and floated into the medical bay. Is Vigo up and ready yet? We have a meeting with Vince Laban five minutes ago. Nice to see you, Isra, said Vigo. Out terrorizing the locals early today? Isra Jacario glared. No one could drop the temperature in a room with a look alone quite like her. She was a small woman with short black hair, olive skin, and dark almond eyes. She wore the same corporation blue jumpsuit as everyone else, but contrast to Vago, the clothing hung loose over her small, slender frame. At first glance, she was the quiet, unassuming type. She could disappear into the crowd if it wasn't for the fact that most of the crowd would be trying to keep their distance from her the minute she spoke. And there was something else about Isra that bothered Vago. What is wrong with him? said Isra, nodding her head at Vago. Nothing to speak of. Just a few anomalies coming out of hibernation, said Althea, putting her equipment away. Isra examined every inch of Vago, from his hair to his toenails. Anomalies? He is nervous. Is there something I need to know, Vago? Isra could read people like a book, and she had a tendency to flip through the boring parts. Vago wouldn't go so far as to say she was psychic, but whatever innate skill or talent that psychics needed to convince people that they were psychic, Isra had it. A lot of it. Lying didn't typically work, but deflection could if well-timed. I need my guns, said Vago, folding his arms. Isra looked him over again. They are still in storage. We will ask Laban about them when we see him. I ain't setting foot on that schnoni book here, Kestisya Biagdiag Moon unarmed, Isra. Usigka! Isra snapped back. That was the other unsettling thing about Isra. She had a gift with language. Most scholars who studied the Martian languages for years could never get the pronunciation right. Isra spent a week among them and talked like a native when she wanted to. Isra set her face into a carefully neutral expression. You will be adequately supplied for this mission. However, I do not anticipate a scenario where violence will become necessary. Now, please come with me. Isra left through the same hatch she entered through and Vago followed. That was the problem with both Althea and Isra. They are both products of civilization, a system designed to minimize the amount of violence needed for a productive solution. Pushing himself after Isra, he passed by a large window. The small orange and blue moon, Titan, was getting closer. Civilization meant people could meet without violence. When two civilizations meet... Violence was almost a foregone conclusion. There was going to be blood. Whose blood, and for what reason, were still details that would be sorted out in time. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.